0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor podcast, research informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Tidy, and I'm glad to have you here. Today in the show, I'm answering your questions about compulsory heterosexuality and why we're seeing it come up more and more on TikTok. I also share my interview with sexual health educator and viral TikTok sensation, Yes Tess. Tess and I talk about the trials and tribulations of trying to create sexual health content online and what questions we get asked all the time. For example, can you get pregnant from anal? But first, today in sex. I don't know how many of you have been watching Startup on Netflix, but oh my goodness, what a good show. I actually follow Shambudran, who if you don't follow already, please do, on Instagram, who is an excellent sexual health educator, and she was saying how much she loves that show. Now, Startup is great for lots of different reasons, but for myself, I am really into the character of Izzy Morales. This is a portrayal of a complex, sometimes very frustrating woman who's so interesting and flawed, and what's best is I'm pretty sure she's bisexual. There aren't any assumptions made about her sexuality in the show, and even though no one says, Izzy, are you bisexual? Or are you a lesbian? Are you straight? Wait, is this a phase, oh, you're probably in denial about being a lesbian. Or maybe you think you're edgy by dating a woman, but you're actually straight. That conversation is never had about her sexual orientation. No overt discussion about it, and no one is weird about it the whole time. But Izzy dates and sleeps with men and then gets into a relationship with a woman, and it's never an issue about the gender of the person that she's with, it's about the quality of that relationship itself. And to me, it feels like such amazing representation of actually seeing a bisexual person in a show without it becoming a point of contention. That's not the main point of her character. The point is is that she's deeply flawed, but is such an insanely talented programmer and coder that she is making this amazing software that is going to change the world. But her sexual orientation? Nah. Nobody seems to care about it. She just gets to live her life and have relationships that work for her. Now, while we don't know specifically what her sexual orientation is, and again, I love that they don't label it at all, for me as someone who is bisexual, it felt like such a validating way to see your own sexual orientation reflected in a show, right? And it's not about the trials that she faces about being a bisexual woman and about bi erasure. It's just normal. Right? The fact that she can be in a relationship with a man, the fact that she can be in a relationship with a woman, we haven't seen it yet, but potentially in a relationship with someone who's transgender or non-binary or gender non-conforming, it's just so exciting to see how our media and the art that people are creating is starting to evolve to actually affect the lived experiences of lots of different folks. I'll say Alex Bell, he definitely gives me some bi guy energy. But this has me thinking about sharing my own identity when I am teaching sexual health. Tess and I talk about this later on in the episode, but I really want to know what you think. When I go into a classroom as a sexual health educator, the most important thing is to create a safe space for everyone there. So for me, that means letting people know where I'm coming from. They know that I'm white as soon as they see me. I tell them that my pronouns are she and her and that I'm cisgender. They see that I am able-bodied. I'm not discounting invisible disabilities because I recognize how difficult that is, especially in being married to someone with an invisible disability, but do I share my sexual orientation? Is that something that would be deemed inappropriate or is that important to recognize about who I am and where I'm coming from as their educator? I've kind of gone back and forth on it, and this last week I did tell a class that I was bisexual. And it sparked a really interesting discussion on sexual orientation and how we start to think about that, especially as we're going through puberty. So I'm talking to this grade 7 class, and I said to them that normally I wouldn't share my personal experience with them. But one of the anonymous questions I asked was what to do if you're questioning your sexuality. And I told them that for myself, that started when I was 12. And it took me a long time to actually own my bisexual identity. Now I get more into bisexuality when we talk about compulsory heterosexuality later in the episode, so I'm interested to see your thoughts. Should I be sharing the fact that I'm bisexual when I'm teaching people, or is that crossing a line that maybe they don't need to know? Really interested to hear your thoughts, so send me a message on Instagram or send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com.
1: And now, let's get to your calls. Hi, Dr. Tidy. Thanks so much for your amazing podcast. Admittedly, I binge listened to most of it while I was doing mindless data extraction for my own research. Speaking of research, I wanted to thank you for talking about your own research, especially relating to your PhD um, I actually met you in October of 2017, which I think is shortly after you had started your PhD, and I, I remember sitting at the dinner table of a family friend of my partner at the time, and you'd come for dinner, and we were talking about your research, and 17-year-old me was trying to play it super cool and not be embarrassed that a complete stranger was talking about sex as I sat next to not only my first sexual partner, but also kind of two complete strangers. Um <laughs> While I maybe wasn't prepared for the conversation at the time, I am trying to do the unlearning that you talk about in my early 20s, um, as you have described so many times, and I very very much relate to it. So thank you for talking about your research. It was nice to be able to hear the findings and kind of do a full circle moment. Um, Finally, I have a question. I've never really come out, but I've always considered myself bisexual. And recently I came across the term compulsive heterosexuality, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts or kind of discussion. Um, I know there are some. I think I think it was written by an academic. I think I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts on compulsive heterosexuality. I've seen it go around a lot recently on TikTok, so I'm curious. Let me know what you think. Thanks. Thank you so much for your
0: question, caller, and. I wish I could go back to that moment where we were sitting at the dinner table of almost four years ago and how much has changed since then. Amazing to hear about your own journey of unlearning and absolutely, (laughs) it is a lifelong thing. So to your question about compulsory heterosexuality, there are a lot of TikToks on it. I totally went on a binge this morning just to make sure that I was seeing what was out there. And it's a lot of folks talking about how women are settling for men, that they will date a whole bunch of shitty guys until we find our prince charming. And it's all about seeking that validation of men instead of actually liking them. So understandably, it's hard to figure out what your attractions actually are, and there's an insane amount of pressure to conform to these sexual scripts that we are taught incessantly from media and institutions. There's a few things that I want to talk about in terms of compulsory heterosexuality. So heteronormativity has become a much more mainstream term, and many folks link that back to compulsory heterosexuality. This is because it acknowledges how heterosexuality, not just as a sexual orientation, but how it is understood as an institutional framework in which we are supposed to fit. But to help us out with our understanding of compulsory heterosexuality, I went to the best, and of course I mean Hannah Witten. So let's hear what she has to say.
2: So I've been familiar with heteronormativity for a while now, but only recently I came across the concept of compulsory heterosexuality. So the term compulsory heterosexuality was coined by Adrienne Rich in her 1980 essay, Compulsory Heterosexuality and Lesbian Existence. Now, moving forwards, I'm just gonna say "compet" because I can't for the life of me (laughs) say compulsory heterosexuality, I, I just, My mouth can no longer say it, Compet. So now you know what I'm talking about, great. So in her essay, Rich argues that heterosexuality, especially in women, is not natural. Heterosexuality is in fact a violent political institution imposed on society and its people. Compet removes the capacity of choice and self-expression and puts women in a subordinate role
0: to men. We can also understand this as the status quo. The status quo maintains itself by ingraining it as the natural or normal way to be in the world. And this impacts our relationships and who we perceive as socially acceptable to be with. It makes us think there is something wrong with us instead of something wrong in our institutions. And people ask me why I'm a sexual health educator. That's my response. I didn't know enough about my body, about the social pressures that I was facing that made me think I had to behave in a certain way. I thought that I was broken for having attraction to other women, but knowing that I also had attraction to men. Where did that fit in any sort of social scripts In any of the relationships that I had seen around me? And so I got into this line of work because I didn't want other people to feel that they were alone in this journey, that what they were experiencing was abnormal and really that they should just suppress those emotions or that there is something wrong or broken with them. Our system is and will continue to perpetuate heterosexuality as the norm because it wants us to conform to it to maintain the status quo of men holding power over women, of white people holding power over people of color, of heterosexual people holding power over queer people, of cisgender people holding power over transgender and gender nonconforming people. What it does is that it naturalizes, these are in bunny ears, of course, naturalizes a social hierarchy that is not natural, it's not normal, It's socially constructed to keep those in power in power and to deny the rights and lives of anyone who does not conform. So instead we'll try to squeeze ourselves to conform to this narrow conceptions of identity and sexual expression, even if it doesn't feel right or authentic to who we are. Because if we think we're broken and not the system, then we won't try to change it just ourselves. Now, in terms of compulsory heterosexuality, this comes back to an article by Adrian Rich, which of course I have linked in the episode description. And there has been a lot of critique since then. But the main idea is that we are forced to assume that we are heterosexual, that we're taught that we should not question our sexuality, even though I think that's something we should all do because it asks us to think deeply about who we are in the world, who are we attracted to and why? and to delve into what is felt within us, rather than what is socially imposed. It's tricky, and it takes a long time to unpack. And absolutely, binge-watching all of these TikToks, it made me think about my own youth and my confusion and denial of my sexuality. You know, my desire to be seen as desirable by men, my desire to be close and intimate with women, and my own sexual desires for men and women. But I want to recognize that a lot of folks on their journey to discovering who they are might identify as bisexual, and then figure out later that they're actually gay or lesbian. I'm so happy for those folks that they are understanding who they are and are feeling empowered in the knowledge of their sexual orientation. However, folks who are bisexual are too often erased, are not believed, and I don't know if discussions on compulsory heterosexuality have helped with this. Yes, we should all think about how our relationships and decisions are impacted by the social institutions that make up our lives. But what is liberating for some folks in realizing that they're not bisexual because they aren't actually attracted to men, but rather just seek their validation because our society values men's opinions so highly, patriarchy. But what is liberating for some can actually erase the experience of others who do desire men and women and non-binary folks and transgender and gender non-conforming folks. Now, this is a topic I would love to delve into deeper because I think it deserves an entire episode. And I also want to talk about why bisexuality is so easily erased in a society that insidiously promotes compulsory heterosexuality. Again, caller, thank you for bringing up this topic. Clearly, I have a lot of feelings about it, and I think there is a lot that we need to get into. Now, before we get into my interview with Tess, I'm going to share one review that definitely left me with a little sniffle.
3: Hi, Leah. I think your podcast is wonderful, um, and thank you so much for all of the effort and energy that you put into it. I wanted to say thanks uh, particularly for the episode before last where you were talking to Levi about bi-wife energy and lots of other interesting things. As a cisgender woman who's happily married to a man for the last nine years, um, but also (laughs) I'm about to turn 40 and have only just started to appreciate the fact that I've been bisexual all along. Um, I was able to share your episode with my husband, and it's really helped us to start an interesting conversation, so thank you so much for that. Um, But on an unrelated note, um, I also just wanted to thank you for your humility. I'm finishing up my own PhD at the moment, and I think it's so refreshing to listen to your perspective, um, because you're really open-minded, and you really listen and look for other opinions, and I think sometimes people who have become experts in their own fields aren't always all of those things. So I think you do a really great job of, you know, sharing information and having your conversations be open and accessible to all, despite the fact that you are an expert. So thanks for that. Keep up the great work and I will absolutely keep listening. Thanks. Thank you so much. And it is my hope
0: to always share a wide variety of perspectives on the podcast. Now, if you have questions for the podcast, or if you know someone that I should definitely interview on the show, record a message on the voice memo app and email it to me at thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send me a voice message on Instagram at doctor.leotide. But now let's hear from Tess and how doing a pad demonstration on TikTok, it might just get you millions of views. Hi Tess, how are you today? Hi, Leah. I'm great. How are you? I'm really good. Yeah, I just got back from like a biking trip. So I'm not gonna lie. I uh, had a nap. And I had some coffee to just be like, okay, let's get (laughs) your head in the game. Back behind a screen again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I can't wait to like get off my bike and be like looking at a screen again. I'm like, Oh, yeah, this is what I do. COVID means that this is how I do my job. Which I know is something like, totally for you as well. That's, that's our work now as sex educators, like when you're actually able to be in the classroom. I feel like that's rare these days. Uh, so why don't we start by you telling me a little bit about yourself and and why you started Yes Tess. Sure.
4: So I'm, so my name is Tess and I've been in British Columbia and Vancouver for almost five years now. So I was born in Belgium. I moved here to work with feminist organization, a women organization, and about Two years ago, I did the check training, so the sexual health educator certification training, so the same that you did, and I really wanted to become a sexual health educator. In my job, I worked with teenagers, I work in programs in schools about sexual violence and preventing violence among, um, in relationship in, in young teens and all, mm-hmm. so... I wanted to work more into the field of sexual health education and reproductive health. So I did the training. It was really interesting. I was still working on my day job back then. So I was 19 when I did the training. And I did a little bit of workshops here and there in school. So I was already giving workshop on healthy relationship in some of the school for my work. And I introduced more and more sexual health education component into the program. And I think I quit my job, Uh, it was last in September, but I did tell them that I was leaving, I think it was in early March of 2020. So obviously I had a clear vision of starting doing the mom business in September, going to the classroom. Obviously, um, two weeks later, things kind of changed. I was hoping that by September, things would be back to normal. Obviously, like very early on, we had this idea that it would be easy. And yes, yeah, so in September, I didn't have a job, but I started reaching up to some schools, trying to understand what was going on. I think for them, it, would, it took a long time to also know what this year would look like. But yeah, I was lucky enough that I had some connection and some people that wanted to work with me. And I got into working with some of the French speaking schools. So I've been doing most of my work in French. So in BC, you have French speaking school and public French schools. Uh, so I've been working with them a lot. And this is kind of like when I started Yes yes, the name came because I had to come up with a name for my social media. Again, when before I was able to reach out to the schools, I realized everything closed. I couldn't do any workshop. So I realized, okay, well, I like, can just like see what um, TikTok is all about. I've been hearing about that. <laughs> so I looked into it. it was out oh, of some schools. That seems like it's where the old, like younger teenagers are. And yeah, so I started doing a little ones on how to put a condom on, how to use birth control, and it kind of worked like that. And then I just needed a name because it was only my, my name, like Tessie as a, as a username, and I wanted to find a brand. And that's how Yes test started, trying to find something that resonates a bit towards the idea of being sex positive, being open to conversation and open to answering questions.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's funny. I th- I think about, like, yes, tests, I mean, like, you know, as someone who spends a lot of time thinking about, like, words and their meaning, I also just love when mm-hmm. things, like, you know, they rhyme. That makes you just really happy. But uh, there's there's this thing, because cause my background is in theater as well, and one of the things that you do if you're doing, like, improvisation or something like that, you go, yes, and. So whatever someone offers you or brings to the table, you say yes, and then you add to it. You say, yes, and, and then whatever. And so for for me, that feels like a very apt metaphor of of you know what I've seen from you in terms of what you share online in terms of sex education. You know, people are going to come to you from wherever they're at with whatever biases or beliefs or misinformation or whichever. You're going to say yes, and let's think about this and this, and let's think about this. So it's just as you said, like comes from a real like sex positive place, and I think really like playful and fun because there's so many. So many sex educators and educators in general who are like, how am I going to use social media to, re- to reach them youths, you know? Like, how- I got to go to the platform that they're on. And uh, actually, this last week, I was, I was teaching at a middle school here in Victoria. And do you know how many times I referenced your viral TikTok video about the pad demonstration? I was like, team. My friend is like super famous. I don't know if you've seen it on TikTok. Guess how many views this video has when these kids are like, I don't know, it's for a pad, probably like a thousand. I'm like, mm-mm, more, more. And they were always floored. Last time I checked, it was 34 million. Am I, Am I right in this?
4: Yeah. That's amazing that you've been you've been using that. I love it. <laughs> it, it, it is thirty four million. I think something like I haven't seen it in a while, but it's it's around that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Which is just uh, for for folks who haven't seen it, go go follow Tess on TikTok, and I'll have all of the links to your socials and things like that on the episode description and on my website. But I just found it so helpful because you know these these kids are like okay here's this random lady who's gonna come in and like talk to me about my body and puberty changes and then I'm about to do a pad demonstration and they're all looking at me like who cares like either half of them are like I already know this or the other half is like mortified that I'm doing this and so trying to like find different ways to like make it cool or to make it interesting or to be like, look, like this has been translated into multiple different languages. Clearly this is information that people are hungry for. So t- talk to me a little bit about that, you know, that journey of, of creating sex ed online and kudos to you of like having to make that transition of March of last year, being like, this would be so great. I'm going to go into schools. And then you're like, Oh, pandemic. Like, what? yeah. Talk me a little bit about that journey for you.
4: Yeah. Um, I think just for the past story, like for sure, like I find in school it's always difficult. And that age group in general, I think we had the same training, so must have heard the same thing. But it's basically if you go into middle school, you have the approach whenever you start to say to them is I know you know this, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: absolutely.
4: And you go and re explain. Yeah, it's fascinating because not only I think this video went viral because it went beyond. North America, it went beyond Canada and the US, and I had comments from people from South Korea, from Saudi Arabia, and it's also seeing that reproductive justice Mm -hmm. is part of it as well, it's understanding that yes, like here, you know, using a pad, like you have access to pads, who cares, like everyone knows to use them, but first of all, a lot of kids don't know how to use it, but also across the world is not something that we talk about like most a lot of young people are going to start menstruating and have no idea what's going on they had they had comments on that video about young girls in the us who were saying like they had no idea they thought they were they were, they were dying oh. because no one talked to them like no one talked about menstruation the parents didn't talk about it or the guardians didn't talk about it and they were very scared um so I was not expecting it when I made that video. I wanted to just do a little series on the different menstrual products that you can use. Basically trying to make videos that were small capsules of the things I would present in school or talk about in schools. But when I started the TikTok, I hadn't even like teach that much sex ed in the classroom. The only experience I really had in teaching sex ed in the classroom was mostly with grade 10 because that was the program I was doing at the time, right? So Mm -hmm. we're talking about sexual health and sexuality and what does sexuality mean? And having a reflection on sexuality is different aspect of who we are. And I was always trying to get the conversation starting on pleasure, because again, that's a part of things that we don't talk about. But I did not have the experience of talking of things that seems a bit more basic, but at the end, when you put it online and it can reach such wider audience you realize that for you it seems so basic while like a lot of people are gonna be very surprised and ask a lot of questions and say that, that i never heard this so i had no idea what is this so what how do you use that mm. i think that's like the most important part to remember and to realize is we maybe here in British Columbia or in Vancouver, Victoria, we are a bit more in a bubble where we have access to more education, where the Ministry of Education is taking it somewhat more seriously that because it's part of the curriculum of the province, but there is still a huge gap on things that are very basic. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And and being able to share, like you said, I think it's hard when it's that is your work that you are constantly thinking about or working on sexual health. Sometimes you forget all of those fundamental things that have that have shored up that knowledge. And even just being able to say to people, you don't put the sticky side of the pad on your genitals. That that's not where that goes. Right. And I'm like, it's not like a band-aid. And so many people are like like mind blown. And just realizing that that is reproductive justice. Because I think when people think that they are dying or that something is seriously wrong with them when they start having their you know their first period like i know for myself i was i was terrified like i had a, an open family who talked to me about what that was but still doesn't change the fact that you're scared because your body is changing you don't you don't you don't feel at home in your body anymore and you're trying to navigate this new thing that for some reason and obviously it varies from society to society and different cultures but unfortunately, something that can be seen as really shameful. Right. So it's it's always difficult too when, you know, you're in a, a mixed group with all different genders teaching it as well. And you could see some people being like, why am I here learning about this? And I'm like, well, I think you're just going to be kinder individuals, you can be more informed individuals if we know what happens to all bodies. But you're so right. Like it's it's so interesting because I'm I'm in that journey of like I've only made two TikToks and I'm like oh man like Instagram is is like my main thing and now I'm like oh and podcasting and now I'm like oh there's a whole other platform that I have to try but right you you almost need to start with those basics because th- I think you're going to meet people where they're at and then you can as they follow you you can build their knowledge have you found that like over time are you able to like maybe not transgress further but you're able to do like more and more intensive sex ed or more sophisticated? Or have you found that?
4: I don't know if I'm, I would say so much like I have to build up. I guess I, maybe for me, I just went for things that were more basic and trying to cover some of the basics and then go into things that answer specific questions that people might have that are related to other bigger topic that I covered. I would say that might be a bit more of the specific thing, but the audience changes all the time because I think your video goes to people who follow you, but it still goes to a lot of people who don't follow you. So even if I put the content as a bit more specific, I will have people come back in the comment section and ask things I already covered just because of the way TikTok is designed. is a bit harder to find content or to browse through the video that someone has. Which it would be easier, for instance, if you have a platform like YouTube. You go on someone's platform and you can find all the videos under on one specific topic, which I've been finding really difficult from day one, trying to put content on social media and Instagram, TikTok are the same, is that you really, really restricted in what you can say. And to me, that is just shocking because I there's a few things that I want to talk about that are things that I present in middle school in in kindergarten like just the name like talking about the vulva or like a drawing of the vulva or else yeah. is something that is basic should everyone have access to it but somehow if you mention the word vulva vagina penis if you talk about masturbation if you talk about if you show condom like I just put a video I think it was last week on internal condoms and mm-hmm. I just shot a comment I didn't even explain how it works. I was just trying to do an introduction video on, hey guys, like, do you know, does anyone know what this is? Mm-hmm. And it was taken down. Mm-hmm. And I asked for it. And they're like, no, this is, this is adult pornography.
0: Which is like, <laughs> it's so hard because I hear that from so many sex educators who are like, how am I supposed to share this information online? When objectively, so many other things that are, highly sexualized, are share on TikTok all the time. Like, that's kind of the origins of TikTok is, like, sharing kind of, like, sexualized, like, dances and things like that, which I'm like, power to you. Absolutely. But when people are trying to just show, like, hey, it would be good if people knew that there's actually two different types of condoms. There's internal and external. And people are like, mm, get out of here with your porn. You're like, ah, oh. just trying to well, Also, I think the thing that's hard is recognizing the amount of work that goes into creating that content and then it gets taken down. And so that it's, it's hard to kind of keep going. So how, how, is that, how do you motivate yourself to keep creating those videos when you're worried about that, it being flagged?
4: I really like what you said about the TikTok and what the platform has been used for. Because I think that's been my biggest issue with it is that is a platform that is mostly like kids I mean kids or it's supposed to be 14 plus I think or 12 plus but there's definitely a lot of you know, younger kids on that platform that pretend to be a bit older but you can see from people following me I can see that younger than, than 14 or 12 or whatever it is and there is a lot of content that is sexualized because. Again, there are teenagers using a platform. That is not something that's taboo. Teenager puberty and people going to puberty are horny. That's no. like, that is like the basic of going to puberty. You have all the hormones that are going to your body and you starting to have sexual thoughts and sexual preferences and all of this is like starting to build up. You go on the platform, you see other horny teenager And eventually, like right now, it is a pandemic and they don't meet, but I'm meeting in person. There are people going to schools and people meeting in person. And I find it's even public safety, public health safety to make sure that, cool, this is a platform full of horny teenager. We want to make sure that they know how to protect themselves and they have the right tools to stay safe. Mm
3: -hmm. And that
4: makes me the most, yeah, that makes me really mad. Because every time I even do the, the easiest thing or which seems to be the most basic, which is the condom demonstration, it gets taken down and I have to add banner all over insisting this is public health information. Mm-hmm. You are talking about, we have COVID now, everyone is talking about how to wear a mask properly, how to safely being like in a room together, but being like this social distancing and making sure that we don't catch a virus. and we still don't treat sexual health the same way. We still don't think we should be giving this information to kids. Like We want to make sure that they can play safely. While well, in the global pandemic, why don't you want to make sure that they can socialize safely as a teenager and like give them the right tools? It's frustrating. I, I keep making the content. I think I always have more faith, faith in the platform that I make content. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be fine. And then it gets taken down and then I get really mad. And then eventually I just find another way to make it. But it is frustrating.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The amount of work and effort. Such a, a good point, though, right? Like we separate sexuality and sexual health out from talking about our overall health and well-being because it's we've created all of these strange like taboo things around sexuality and so even when I'm going into schools uh, you know I'm, I'm drawing on the board like we're talking about anatomy and then I start talking about the clitoris and I find myself looking at teachers being like okay I'm gonna talk about the clitoris now and is that okay because you you want to in your in your own world and it kind of in your, in your own maybe sex positive bubble as a sex educator you're like this is a matter of of justice for people to know how their bodies work. And they know like the, a lot of the time, the meaning of having sex, there's lots and lots of different means, but the meaning of having sex is, is about pleasure, right? It's about connection, about so many other things. So if we're not teaching young folks with vulvas and clitorises, that penetrative sex probably won't do it for them. That probably, you know, like it might feel pleasurable in other ways, but if they're thinking about overall pleasure, that's, that's not really, you know, where, where the game's at. So trying to, To balance that, and and I think the hard thing is too is you're also coming up against, not necessarily the biases of the kids, because the kids that I've worked with, I say kids like lovingly, but you know a lot. I've just been in a middle school the last week, so they are they're kids, they're like 11, 12 years old, but you know they're not the ones who are freaked out about it, right? They like they they definitely like their eyes get wide, but it's the teachers or it's the administration who are like okay, like how far are they going to push it? Like, are they actually going to do a condom demonstration? I'm like, well, at this age, talking about sexually transmitted infections and contraception, like it's in your curriculum. I'm not doing anything wrong. This is age appropriate. So I guess but in, in a roundabout way I'm trying to get at, like how has how that experience been like for you for when you're able to be in the classroom virtually or, or in person? Like how has that been navigating like what you want to teach versus maybe have you felt any tensions about what's expected for you to teach or what you shouldn't mention
4: that's interesting question i so i think i'm trying to think if there is anything i did in person this year but no everything's been online so i don't get the the pleasure of seeing the the faces of the teacher maybe <laughs> or, or to know if there's anything that is not going well um or they're not being extremely keen about i think usually this seems to, they seem to be okay with the content and they kind of like, no, I think what, they, what they're getting, maybe also because I've only been teaching in school who were actively requesting it. So that might also have been, I might have a different experience when I try to go to more schools and, and convince me to hire me for, for workshop mm-hmm. in this school, because now I think there were schools who were already used to having sexual health educator coming in and I think people who had a similar approach I have noticed though I think it was the first one and I was that was pretty brutal (laughs) it was I think it was one of the first school I did this year in January and I was starting with great it was either grade seven or eight Mm -hmm. so it was definitely like the difficult ones and I I had a picture, I think there was a the picture of a vulva and then a picture, it wasn't a picture. It was an illustration, obviously. It was an illustration of a vulva, illustration of a, of a penis. And I've had different approach, but on this one I could actually see all the kids were connected on the Zoom and the teacher was connected on the Zoom as well. So I could see the teacher directly. And I'm pretty sure he was forced into having to do this into his classroom, he was not. He was not interested in having that shot inside his classroom, but I don't think he had a choice. And I could see, I think he left the screen, if I remember correctly, he seemed shocked. He left the screen, then it was someone else who came behind the screen. I don't think they were really impressed with the illustration. To the point that I think that the following time I had a few groups, I don't know if I've changed it or if I had a different approach or if I started with a trigger warning in some kind because I felt out of place. I thought maybe, oh, maybe I'm pushing it too far. It's only like an early grade. Maybe I shouldn't be showing this. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. I felt really bad. Uh, not I've been doing it much more. It's I, It's been fine and I don't think anyone an issue. And I guess it's a bit more different that using illustration that drawing it yourself on the board. But beside that, I think most of the teacher I had interacted with were either supportive or just unhelpful but like never <laughs> hostile <laughs>
0: never hostile yeah definitely a lot of the the unhelpful vibe or like a, i'm on my phone or i'm gonna do something else while you're here you're gonna teach my class but so interesting that they would like leave the screen uh and so hard when you're the one who you, you're a guest to the school and you're like oh my gosh did i offend someone like how hard that is to like keep going because a part of you is like okay keep teaching the lesson and the other part of your brain is watching it being like what happened is is like are they gonna ask me to leave and it's it's so difficult to because I think these teachers a lot of most teachers are not given the resources to actually talk about sexual health much less without the training that, that you and I have gone through and something that I've I've talked about on on this podcast before is not only the sexual health educator training but the sexual attitude uh, reassessment training as well, where you look at your own personal biases and you say, ooh, like, okay, this is something that I'm really comfortable with. Oh, this is something that maybe I'm not uncomfortable with. And how do I manage that so I'm not passing on shame or stigma or bias when you're the one teaching? And, and, you know, classroom teachers aren't given the benefit of being able to do that. But then when we leave, their students are going to have all sorts of questions for them. But what are they going to do so we're feeling you know we're we're setting teachers up to to be ill equipped to answer these questions and i just i feel for them and in other ones i'm just like oh you don't want me here like i can again like this is something that like i you know the school counselor's super excited that i'm here or like the vice principal but like some of the teachers themselves are like you are creating more work for me and awkward conversations that i am not ready to have One of the things that I find really interesting in in creating online content, which is very different than when you're in the classroom, right, is how much of yourself do you share when you're teaching? Like, do you share your own personal identity or I get a lot of people asking about different contraceptive methods that I've tried? Like, what has that balancing act been like for you for sharing that? And is that different if you're teaching different audiences?
4: It's interesting, I think. It's gonna be maybe different if I teach in person. I feel now because I'm just a screen to them. So I was saying earlier that the Zoom where I was connecting the Zoom to every kid and they were in the classroom but all had the individual computer. Mm -hmm. Mostly what I've done since is to, I'm projecting to the screen and they're in the classroom and they're listening to the screen, right? So I can't really see them either. I can see a few students, depending on the lighting in the room, I can sometimes see the expression, most of them have masks. So it's really hard, I find, to create a connection. So I make sure that I'm there to answer the question and to keep mostly the facts. But I don't think I've shared anything specifically. Maybe in some of the question at the end, sometimes some stuff might come up, but I have not been sharing a lot. And even on social media, I've been thinking of doing it a bit more to just be a bit more of a person rather than just a content creator but to be um yeah to talk a bit more about my personal experience to share a bit more of like personal life and things to just appear to be slightly more relatable
0: and approachable in a way Mm -hmm. absolutely it's interesting I feel like in terms of creating online you and I are coming from kind of from the different worlds of like, you know, you created yes test to be like, I'm gonna talk about sexual health education. I'm gonna share this content, and like you said, like you're like the host of your different like social media channels. But it's 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 more about you're the person who's sharing the information, and it's not like these are my deep personal thoughts about whichever whichever. Not to say that I do that, but you know, my own Instagram kind of formed out of basically like my partner and I, because we have his YouTube channel. And so then people first started following because they were interested in me as a person. And now I'm trying to make that transition of, I can keep talking about myself, but if I try and share a post that's like purely informational, no one will like it. Like I did an experiment and I was like, oh, you know, I talking about how healthy relationships, you are not always on the same page or that there isn't sometimes disagreements like that happens. So I'm just sharing this like little quote, but no picture of me and nobody really liked it. Right? And then I share a picture of myself and my partner or me like drinking a beer, but then I'm talking about sexual health after that and way more people will engage with it. So I'm just, I'm on such a cusp of when I go into the classroom, I'm so torn between how much of myself do I share, right? Because in some ways you want people to know the viewpoint that you're coming from. Like, So some folks, I want to tell them that I'm bisexual. Maybe that will help the queer kids in the room to know that, you know, I see you and this is a part of my own experience, even though there's multiple experience within that, but I'm also like a cisgender white woman. So like all sorts of like baggage and privilege and things that goes with that. So it's, I find it so difficult, but at the same time, because you're a sexual health educator, and I wonder if you've gotten this, people can be overly familiar with you in terms of like comment sections or direct messages to you? Have you found that as well? Like because you talk about sexual health online, you're nodding right now. People can't see this, but Tessa's eyes went big. She's like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
4: Yeah. So I think for the sharing in general, and I'm thinking about the classroom just because you're talking about like how much you want to share in the classroom. And not only on social media, but I think in the classroom as well, my only fear about sharing too much in the classroom is if people on social media are already being inappropriate, asking questions, I think, great, like four or five, seven, also going to be inappropriate. I had a question in the classroom just asking me, why did you choose the name YesTest? Or what is, it, what is this your job?
0: <laughs> mm mm-hmm
4: came up a few times like why why are you doing this like what like what happened in your life that you decided to come into (laughs) a classroom and talk to us about erection and penises so that come up but in social media i think mostly so tiktok doesn't really have a messaging Mm -hmm. so you can't really message people that you're not friend with which i appreciate on instagram i had a few things and i realized that it's currently which i've received the most messages from are men or boys Mm. and there is one in particular because i think from his profile picture i can see that he's obviously an older man well not all like older than me but i think middle age or and the entire time he was messaging me i think he had like question about Viagra which were like all like fine questions there was nothing inappropriate in his questions but the entire time I was just thinking I'm I'm about to open a a dick pic like I know at some point that's coming like in this exchange like something's going to happen it's just going to turn overly sexual I'm going to receive a dick pic so I had this idea that like because of who he was Mm. it was going to be inappropriate it never was I think he had questions that were a bit that were very um, personal to him. So he was definitely sharing a lot of, about his like experience and what was going on for him. And he was, he's looking for advices and all, but I think it's opening, it's opening me a little bit more to my own stereotypes and idea that I have towards some people thinking, obviously if it's a middle-aged man, texting me as a sexual health educator he's going to be inappropriate Mm -hmm. not thinking that maybe I'm the only person that is a safe place for him to go and ask questions because there is no one else that he can really talk to without being judged or without feeling embarrassed Mm -hmm. and they that found I found that really um very eye-opening on my own or prejudices that I
0: have you know it's it's interesting to say that i have had that same thing every now and then people will send you like a photo on instagram and i'm like oh no please please i'm happy to say knock on knock on wood i've only received one dick pic so far and i'm i'm actually like I'm not going to say that I'm impressed because unsolicited dick pics are not cool. Nobody is like super stoked that you sent that to them and then they're going to be like sexually interested in you. I'm saying this to listeners. My listeners, you are intelligent, kind people. I know this. But if you know someone who doesn't know this, maybe tell them that like I'm not quite sure what they're hoping will happen out of it. Other than like I guess they're just wanting a reaction. Anyway, the person who sent me a dick pic, I ended up naming in one episode of the podcast because they they had their name on Instagram. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to say that you are the person who sends dick pics. So hopefully, I don't know, like, not not that I want to promote shame, but I'm also like, that's not okay. Like, that's that was not okay. But I think you're right. Like, I think we can quite often make assumptions about who is going to toe that line, who's going to be inappropriate. And sometimes I think it's so hard because we're taught that asking questions about our bodies and about sex is inappropriate but who else are we going to go to and when you're creating hopefully a safe space online you want people to feel like they can ask those really important questions but then there's that fine balance of okay now that you've asked that question you and I don't actually know each other now we're you know that that familiarity is something that can be really hard to to navigate and so it's just something that I think especially as women who create content online, I think it's something that that is hard. That's hard, right? So I, it's, it's an interesting battle that we go through. I'm wondering, we were, were talking about like questions that like that he was asking you and that other folks have asked you. Like, what is the question that you get asked like again and again, either on TikTok or when you're like teaching online? Like what is, surprises you that people like still have questions about?
4: That's interesting. I think there's an overall theme of, am I normal? I think that just different theme of that, right, is on Instagram, like, even receiving as well, like, other messages on, I'm going to send you a picture of my dick. Do know if it's normal. I'm like, I don't need to see it. I'm not going to open it, and I'm pretty sure it's fine. To, like, is it normal to... I don't know to be rose like, by certain things or to my body to look a certain way or to feel a certain way or to have a certain type of desire or feelings or things happen, like happening to your body. That's been, that's usually a question that people just want to know. Please tell me that I'm fine and I'm going to grow into this body that like puberty is going to come up for me all of these. Um, I think that's like the main question. There is this and the other one, and it's no more so much a question that, again, something that's more general, but pregnancy scares, something that comes up a lot because, and I don't know if it's more, happens more in North America in general, because we teach kids to be so afraid of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. There is no sexual education and this idea that like, if you do sexual things, you're going to get pregnant, but they don't know what the sexual activities are and aren't. They don't get their information, but they are taught to be very, very scared of teen pregnancy, of getting pregnant. And it's a question that comes up all the time. I've been volunteering for um, Skerleteen for a few months. And so they have a firm. um, Again, for people who don't know what Skerleteen is, is one of the oldest website that offers information on sexual health and they have really great information articles answering questions they have a forum to which you can ask questions to the chat room and yes like the main question that i think Scarletine doesn't even answer anymore is pregnancy scare just because it's it's too much of a complicated topic and people have it all the time
0: yeah i think you're right though there's because of how much those scare tactics have been used that that's the fear when it comes to it and not and not even realizing that hey when I was talking to you about the menstrual cycle and ovulation that's actually something really important for you to know if you're thinking about pregnancy this is important for all partners to know if you're kind having any kind of sex that could result in a pregnancy you know, and, and one of the amazing resources that I, that I tell youth about as well, thank you for mentioning Scarlatine. I mention them so often on this podcast, and I, they just do really incredible work. And so Scarlatine, if folks have questions, check that out. Of course, I will have it linked down in the episode description. But the other one that I talk about is in BC, we have this Adolescent Health Survey, which you know of. Again, we did the same training, so we know we know our resources. But, you know, how the highest rates of unintended pregnancies – are amongst queer youth, and it's because we're not creating spaces where we can talk about queer sex can be reproductive sex, right? If we're not having really open conversations and we're not talking about bodies, like we don't have to be talking about like gender, we need to be also talking about bodies and how they work and then how our gender expression is definitely can influence that. But it's a separate thing when we're talking about sexuality, like we need to know kind of the biology, like how does this work? So then people can feel empowered to it because if if you go into a classroom and you're using like really like heteronormative examples, then queer youth are just going to switch off and be like, this doesn't pertain to me. But also really hard, you know, before we, we started recording, you and I were talking about how, how do you make sure that you are creating an inclusive classroom and inclusive space? But understandably, again, a lot of like teachers, administrators, they're like, okay, like how cool are you with me telling you what queer sex can look like? right? Like, so how, how have you found that balancing act of being like, okay, like, I want to make sure that I'm having inclusive sex ed and people see themselves reflected in it. But how do I navigate that kind of tricky territory of like, how much time do I have? Like, I can't tell you all of the different positions or ways that people can have sex.
4: Yeah, I, I think the first thing I do in a lot of workshop, especially from middle school, I think when we do puberty, they know that I'm talking to everyone because we're talking with different kind of bodies. But when I start talking about STI or reproductive health contraception, I make sure that at the beginning of the class, I insist on the fact that one of the rule of the workshop or like today is that it is a class that is for everyone, regardless of also just if they feel ready to start being sexual or not. Because I've had kids in the classroom who didn't want to listen because they said, well, listen, I do not believe that I will have sex before marriage. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, cool, that's really cool. But like everything that I'm telling you now is very important and you can take this into your relationship when you get married, like anything else that you learn in school now, you're not going to be using it right away always. It's information that you kind of carry with you. So I make sure to say, hey, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. And it's for everyone that you decide to have sex when you're allowed to have it. Um, when you decide to have it, if you're waiting until marriage, if you are attracted by people that are the same gender as you or different gender as you, it's a topic for everyone. And we all have to like learn about these different things because we never know what's going to come up in our lives. Mm -hmm. So I make sure to start with that. Also, as you said, just using as many examples as we can and offering perspective or saying, if I talk about contraception and STI, also, well, who can transmit an STI? Is it only people who have different gender, the same gender? And like what kind of activities, sexual activities are at risk or put you at risk of transmitting STIs? But I still find that even though I believe that I'm being so, so inclusive, trying my best to just use different kind of example and offering, not gendering any term, not saying like a boy and a girl, women woman and a man or a man and a man or, or whatever. I still sometimes find in like the comment section that they wanted to have more information about when I talk about sexuality or sexual health or having sex, that I didn't explain enough what queer sex might look like, and I guess that's still something I'm maybe trying to like figure out how to keep having this conversation and explain certain things. I had question with earlier grade, I think it was grade, it was a grade six, and the teacher was a bit shocked because she sent me all the question, and I think one of the question of the grade six was, "Can you get pregnant from anal?" And she said, "I have no idea." how they know about this uh, or like, how do they even know about anal? And so I was trying to navigate this conversation of explaining what anal is to start with for the other kids in the classroom who didn't ask that question and opening the conversation on what, how you can get pregnant and what happens and in between, you know, what kind of people and what kind of people who like what people need in order to get pregnant or not. Talking about anal, when we talk about different kind of STI, how you can, transmit them and a different type of sexual activities, as I said, but also that it doesn't always have to be two women or two men, or even if I'm attracted to women, I might end up being attracted to a woman who might not have a vulva. So it's kind of like navigating all of these conversations while still having something as basic as talking about contraceptive while then grade seven or eight. So I think it's also kind of like depends from schools to school or Classroom to classroom, and that's really one of the reasons I'm looking forward to being in the classroom to have a bit more of a sense of how to feel the conversation and feel the people that I'm talking to and what they're interested in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and so often when you go into the classroom virtually or in person, you have an hour maybe two hours if you're lucky and so it's so hard to be like okay let me meet all of your curriculum guidelines and make sure that I am doing it in a respectful way and in an inclusive way and that's just woven into what you're doing but how do you even get that information or answer their questions and it's it's so hard right when you're like oh okay I have one hour with this group of 13 year olds what will I tell you that will be helpful because for some folks that may be the only the sex ed they receive and that's so like heartbreaking but I just try and like load people up with so many like resources to be like uh if you have more questions which of course you will because it's a huge topic and like you said like near the beginning you know that's a question I get so often from from especially from like younger kids of like why do you have this job you know like why do you do this but I guess now I'm going to put you in that box though because if you could if you could only kind of share like one piece of information, like one like tidbit about sexual health you just wish everyone knew, and I know this is also impossible because there's so much to unpack, but if if you had to choose, you know, what what would that one piece of information be?
4: Oh, wow. Um the first thing would be mostly that yeah, they they're normal. Like if it's going to be fine, I guess, like overall that we all we all have different bodies and we want different things. So make sure to communicate. Maybe something like that. Just have communicate if you I mean sexual health, like here I'm talking more about sexual, like having sex or being sexual with a partner. Because I think the main thing I'm gonna try to get them to do is communicate, ask question if you have questions to other people about your sexual health. Talk to your partner if you have a partner and you're being sexual with them or not I mean regardless so I think the communication piece maybe like would be would be the main one if I can summarize it in one ask more questions so I don't have to
0: (laughs) yeah ask I I really like that though because of being able to open the door to ask questions right I think so often people go into you know sexual experiences and especially like first sexual experiences being like I should already know how to do this and I'm like Well, if you've never had, like, you know, multitudes of different types of sex, how are you supposed to know, you know, how it's supposed to work and how it's supposed to work for your body or for having sex with somebody else? Like, what's going to work for them? So, yeah, being able to ask those questions, I think, is so, so important. Also, I love what you say about, about, you know, the underlying question is, am I normal? Which is, like, basically the basis of Dr. Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, right? She's like, that is a question that I get asked again and again. Am I normal? And I just it's so sad that we have created so much garbage in the world that tells people that they're not normal or that they're broken. So I just am really grateful for the work that you do because I think it's helping people realize that they are normal and then here are some ways for them to to be healthy and to sexually express themselves in ways that that hopefully feel empowering and to feel honest to who they are.
4: Thank you uh, for having me on the podcast. And I think, yeah, just like normalizing a lot of question a lot of like attitudes a lot of like things that we think of my want uh, i think it's like the biggest piece again because in social media in media in general in tv in books and theories so or we really just only see a very small a very small idea of what sex or sexuality is we see more and more stuff on tv but like the aspect of like sexuality is still very like it's still a very small world mm-hmm. And the f- one thing you were saying about the idea that we need to have the experience already. I think it's something meant like for girls, but I think mostly for boys. I see it like you see it a lot and you hear it a lot. I think it is the book, uh, Boys and Sex. I don't know if you read it from um, Peggy Orstein.
0: Yeah, I'm actually I just started reading it right now because I love Girls and Sex so much. It's literally on my bedside table. I'm like halfway through it.
4: same (laughs) so I'm sure like you've seen like she talks about how obviously they're looking at porn mostly or finding information to make sure that they have the experience that you learn how to look experienced Mm -hmm. while having sex or like being sexual and To me, that is, if there is one thing as well, again, like I'm talking about the communication piece, but explain that obviously you're gonna get into a relationship with someone and you're not gonna know what they like. You're not gonna know, like, it's not gonna be one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Like that's not what sex is. And I think that's what we see a lot is there is one way that people orgasm, the one way that we are having sexual intercourse, obviously that doesn't open any door to queer sex even amongst people who are in relationship between someone who has a vulva and a penis, we're very still stuck in this idea that there is a script that you're following and there is certain way to do things and we don't open or like just ideas and like inviting more ideas on what could be happening in between two individual. We have a lot of shame to uh, if someone cannot have an erection, or if you can't have an orgasm, or if you not feeling aroused for a certain reason. There is all this sexual shame and ideas of things you should be able and not able to do. And while we should just have a conversation with ourselves, with a our partner, to know you know what like what are things that you like. And we can start this conversation slowly and understanding what like, things that you might be interested in, things that you don't like, things that you like. Um, just reopening a vision to all of these different kinds of conversation rather than being closed in that script. Mm-hmm. And again, to mention Scholar team because it was promoting their, one of the most famous articles from their platform, which is called the yes, no, maybe list. And I mean, they didn't come up with this, but it's very um, well known in the sexual health, sexual education and sexology field is to have a list between you and your partner of a different type of sexual activities and just for yourself, know what you're into, what you're not into and what you might be curious about or have fantasies about. Mm-hmm. And then you open so much more of a conversation than just, we're going to go, go in bed um, because you do this in the bed and then you kiss and then there's a penis inside a vagina and then maybe someone orgasm, maybe not, and then it's over. We can go like further than that and having way more conversation and fulfilling sex lives.
0: Yeah, I think that that question that you just asked around, you know, what could be, right? Having that kind of that interest and desire if folks choose like to be sexually active, like wouldn't it be such a different script if it was less of like I need to perform in a certain way and instead it was what could we explore together? What could be if we tried this and what we really focused on was pleasure and not performance or orgasm or things like that, but to just see what could come from it. Oh, I love that. I really, I really hope, you know, folks who are listening, that amazing, and a lot of folks who listen to the show, you know, quite honestly say that they didn't have great sex education when they were young. So just all of that learning and unlearning that we, we are on this journey together, and I'm sure you feel the same way, Tess, of like as sexual health educators, I am learning like every day, constantly about what sexual expression can mean for so many different people, what that also means for me. And I just like, what a wonderful thing that that can be a lifelong process.
4: Yeah, fully agree. It's really nice to just think that I can read all of these books, you know, like you said on your bedside table, you have all these amazing books, like listening to, great podcast like yours on random like yes I'm just learning more so I can do my job better but it's also fascinating and you know helpful for my own life
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly helpful my own life but you're like oh this is definitely professional development work right now so <laughs> if anyone is like oh I don't have time to like read this book or listen to this podcast you're just doing like personal and professional development because I feel like the more that we can understand ourselves and be kind to ourselves and like tune in to like what works for us and what doesn't, I think we're just going to be happier human beings. Trust me, I'm a researcher. That's what so much research tells us, right? If we're honest about who we are and if we're better communicators, then we're going to be more sexually satisfied. You're going to be happier individuals. And in the meantime while we're still doing things virtually go check out yes tess i will have instagram and TikTok and all sorts of things for you to check out really like amazing educational content and like follow because you got to watch it while it's up there in case it needs to be re-uploaded so thank you again for all that you do and and for chatting with me today
4: thank you leia it was really fun
0: thank you so much for joining me today on the love doctor podcast As always, if you have a question for the show, send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send me a voice message on Instagram at dr.leaTidy. I wanna hear your questions and your voice on the podcast, so don't hesitate to get in touch. We're gonna be talking a lot more about my experiences of bisexuality because I know that lots of folks have questions and it's something that I wanna be able to talk about more openly. Even if you don't send in a question, you can check me out on Instagram or Twitter. And if you like what you're hearing, hey, leave a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.